Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, so, yeah, I suppose I can I should say uh, welcome to the Delicious Legacy podcast. It's great to have you here. Thank and you. Um, to the listeners, you are Mimi A, and um, you are the author of uh, Mandalay. Uh-huh. Uh, tell us a little bit about the book, introduce yourself, so my listeners can uh, know a little bit more about you. Okay. Okay, so about me first. So I'm, I, I was born in the UK, but I'm Burmese and my family are all Burmese. So they came here just before I was born. Um, my parents, as I said to you earlier, have always thought that they would go back to Burma at some point. And I, I use the word Burma just because <laughs> I'm old, although the country was officially renamed yeah. to Myanmar. Uh, it was actually renamed by by a military hunter, which is one of the reasons we rejected the name. Um, so, yeah, it, I, 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 uh, they wanted to make mm. sure that I didn't forget my roots, you know, the, yes, <laughs> my delicious exactly. legacy, let's say. <laughs> um, so they, you know, I was... I ate, I ate Burmese food at home. Um, I, you know, spoke Burmese. I was brought up with Burmese traditions and culture um, because I think my mum and dad thought that they were equipping yeah. us for the future because they thought, yeah, at some point we'll go back. And, you know, my brothers, they were nine and six when we came here. So they were already, you know, yeah. you know, they already spoke Burmese. And so it wasn't a problem for them. But for me, I was I was learning from scratch, right? <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, so, so you know, we, we were kind of brought up with the, the tradition of, of food um, and of Burmese food and culture. Um, and then I kind of... I kind of got into kind of food writing probably uh, about 10 years ago, maybe a little over, over 10 years ago when I, I was, yeah. I had a blog. Um, I did that thing where everybody just kind of writes about what food they like. And <laughs> then, and then I started writing more about Burmese food specifically. Um, and uh, I got a, a book deal kind of off the back of that mm. in 2013. Um, and that book was a book about noodles, which was, imaginatively just called noodle it wasn't my choice um it was it was part of a series so all the rest of the, the, the books are called soup and stew so it's not my right. fault um but but that was but when I got that book I kind of thought to myself oh actually I can because um, hmm. you know a lot of the recipes I have are word of mouth recipes yeah, yeah. or ones that I'd kind of learnt from observing right so none of them had ever been written down there was at the time, right. very little on the internet, very little kind of written texts in Burmese or in English. Um, and so, you know, lots of these recipes were very much ones that only existed in people's in people's minds. And, you know, so so I yeah. I wanted to use the opportunity, because obviously I never even thought I'd yeah. get one book, let alone two. So I wanted to use the opportunity to kind of put a lot of my heritage recipes into the, this book about noodles. Mm. And so I think about eight or nine of them are all Burmese recipes. Right. Um, and one thing I, I kind of really need to point out is that Burmese is like the kind of catch-all term for the food from Burma because mm. there are lots and you know, there's a, over 130 ethnic groups. Um, and I myself, I'm a, I'm a big mix of, of uh, ethnicities. Um, I'm part 
um, Shan, I'm part Inda, I'm part Baman, I'm part Yunnanese. So there's like this this random Chinese part of me that I don't know much about. It's it's very complicated. Um, <laughs> but but it meant that the, the the recipes that I put in that first book were kind of even though nominally Burmese, it was lots of different ones. So there's one from Yakine, Arakan State. There's a couple from the Shan State. There are a couple from the kind of mainland. Um, and I thought, okay, this is really nice because I'm getting to pass on these recipes, document these recipes that don't really exist in any form anywhere else yet. Mm. Um, yeah. It was really nice. Um, and then I kind of just chugged away, like, trying to teach people about Burmese food and um, on, on social media primarily, uh, but also on my blog. Um, and then I don't know what it was, a zeitgeist, who knows. I, I finally ended up getting a, a deal for um, a book just about Burmese food. Um, and so, you know, Mandalay, uh, Mandalay Recipes and Tales from a Burmese Kitchen came out in 2019. Um Yes, with um, a lot of critical acclaim, I must add. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, I mean it's a weird kind of thing because I, I have I have very yeah I have a very strange relationship with my book because um, it's it's sort of a memoir in a weird kind of way. Um, I I had very understanding publishers who kind of allowed me to do whatever I wanted. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think slightly distinct from a lot of other books out there and definitely different from the books that already exist yeah. on Burmese food. Um, I've put in probably, like the introduction is like over 40 pages and it's talking about my family history. It's also talking about culture. It's talking about, you know, geographical things that people might not be aware of. Um um, so yeah, that 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 was something that I was really really delighted yeah, to be able to yeah, do. Um, and also, like even the recipes, I tried to put all of the recipes into context. Mm. So I, I tried really hard not to just say this is a tasty dish, but explain you know where the dish came from, why it was important to me. Um, yeah. And and but because of this, because the because of all of that, it's a very very personal book in a lot of ways. And so. I was really frightened when it when it was published because I thought yeah. if people didn't like it, that was like a personal judgment of me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, totally. It's it makes sense. So, so as you say, when it came out, it it did have a lot of critical acclaim, which I was really kind of taken aback by, and like you know, it, it made me cry a bit because I, it, it's kind of one of those things where you think, oh God, people really do <laughs> like this. Um, so, you know, it was on the best book of the year list for the, uh, what was it, for the Observer, for the Financial Times and the Mail on Sunday. So quite a wide, quite a wide <laughs> range. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very, um, very wide range indeed, yes. Um, and um, in this country, at least, we don't know much about Burma and about Burmese food, no. to be honest. We, we are more acquired with the Indian food and Thai food and obviously more Southeast yeah. Asia like Vietnamese uh -huh. food but I don't think Burmese is so well known here is it because there's not much uh, community and diaspora so the, here? the diaspora here is unusual um, it's less so now so and Probably for the last, uh, until about five years ago, there was only one Burmese restaurant in the whole of the country. Um, and that had been around since the 90s. And that was a restaurant that had actually come over from Norway. So it had originally been set up by a family, a Burmese family in Norway, who then came over to London. Um, mm -hmm. But other than that, the diaspora was very, very specifically a brain drain from Burma in the 60s and mm -hmm. 70s. And what it was, was it, it's mainly doctors and nurses, mainly doctors, to be fair. Yeah. And so they were people who came over to the UK, um, usually because they had been appointed to a role in the NHS here. Um, and yeah. so they, they had a vocation, which meant that they... It, their main thing was kind of saving lives and looking after people, right? Yeah. And so food was, although incredibly important, it was always secondary. It was always a hobby. Um, and so yeah. there was never any question that anyone would set up a restaurant, you know? It, it was just wasn't mm. a thing mm. because people were here for a specific reason and a specific job. Um, now, yeah. you know, after that, it, it, it's been very hard coming over to, to Burma because there are lots and lots of roadblocks uh, put 
by the, the military government, um, which meant that it was very difficult for even like my family to visit us. It was just pretty much impossible. Um, but in the past, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so, it's been, people have been able to come over. And I think this is partly because there was, let's say a notional um, democracy in Burma, although no one no mm. one really ever believed it. But it was open enough because they wanted people to come over. They wanted tourists to come over. Yeah. But they also wanted... So it also meant that people could come over to the rest of the world. So we had entrepreneurs, we had foodies, we had business people come over, people in hospitality come from Burma wanting to, you know, spread the love for Burmese food. So we suddenly started seeing restaurants open up. Um, So there's one in Shoreditch called La Pet, which started off as like a pop-up in Uh. underneath the bridge or something, I think it was. (laughs) Um, But but they are, they're wonderful. Um, Actually, the head chef is from the same part of Burma as my mum. So his tastes are very similar to mine. They're very aligned with mine. Um, And then, you know, there are a couple of other places that have been popping up. And and there are actually also places, and I think it's a bit like the whole kind of – Indian restaurants actually being run by Bangladeshis type thing. Yeah. But there are a few Thai restaurants that kind of turned into Burmese restaurants in the last few years. Interesting. So, so it's kind of a thing where actually they were Burmese all along but didn't think that people would want to eat Burmese food. Yeah, so. yeah. Because I guess people didn't know about it. They know about the no. country as well uh, itself no. much. And, so. and that's because, you know, the, the, the government had kept it so... In, in the darkness and yeah. hidden it from the rest of the world. Isolated, um, yeah. Very much a policy of um, economic isolation. Um, exactly. And so, yeah. And then, of course, people boycotted going there for such a long time because of the military government. So, you know, no one no one was coming back or forth. Yeah. Um, so. yeah. so in um, in a few words, in Fukan, uh, how would you describe <laughs> Burmese food? Um, so I keep changing how, how I describe Burmese food, helpfully. Mm. Um, but I've decided actually one of the best ways to describe it is, um, I think it's probably most similar to Malaysian food, I've been saying. I see. And the reason I say this, although we we only really eat coconuts in desserts, but the reason I say this is because I think Malaysian food has the kind of, I don't know what the term is, it, it, it's as capricious and whimsical as Burmese food insofar as... <laughs> You can't define it by one type of food. So we like curries, but we like noodles and we like salads and we like fritters. Um, So, you know, basically whatever kind of dish you want to eat, you can go and eat it. Yeah. Um, So you can't, you know, you can't write it off. And and also in terms of flavours as well. So we don't really, apart from the fact that every dish has to have, let's say, two or three different flavours. Yeah you can't really pinpoint what those flavors might be. Mm. So it's one of the things that Burmese people complain about is is kind of boredom or monotony in a dish. And this is about flavor, but it's also about texture. Um, so you know congee? You know how congee is yeah. beloved in, in almost every country in Asia? Burmese people don't like it, generally. And the reason we don't like it is because it's dull. Right. Um, it's, it's considered something that you give to invalids <laughs> or to people who are trying to lose weight. Um it is. It, it's kind of like gruel, yeah. basically, because because it's like, oh my god, you know, what what is this thing? And and it doesn't matter how many different garnishes or stuff you put on it; it's still just considered bleh. Um, and so, like in terms of like our soups as well. So we have things that we call soups, but they're they're not blended up. You know, you've got chunks of things, mm. and you've got crispy crispy onions on top, and you've got this, that, and the other. So like, the, there's there's interest in every spoonful or every chopstick full and every kind of mouthful you have is different. It's yeah. formulated differently. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that's probably the, yeah. the easiest way yeah, to I describe think, it. <laughs> I think definitely that's, that's obviously rice is one of uh, the staple is the principal staple thing. It is. Yeah. Rice. We, we have this thing where like in a lot of countries, instead of saying, have you eaten yet? We say, have you had your rice yet? Uh. Um, so yeah, we do love rice, but it's it's kind of considered the the daily meal. Yeah. Um, but we like we like to have things with it. So so you know you you will have your bowl of rice on a table, mm. but you'll also have soup on the side, and you'll also have like crudités, and you'll also have two types of curry, and you'd also have a stir fry, and you'd also have kind of like fritters, and you'd also have a salad. Yeah. So like 
you need to be able to turn the rice, which it's still the star. The rice is still the star, but it combines with other things yeah. to make something really special. Yeah, fantastic. And um, in terms of, um, so basically you, you said you're using chopsticks like uh, most of the southeastern Asian countries. Uh, well, we don't actually. <laughs> just just to be confusing. Um, so we we actually have a tradition of eating with our hands. Mm. So we're actually more similar to like say India in mm. that way. We we only really use chopsticks for noodle dishes that we've adapted or have been inspired by China. Yeah. Um, so we have noodle dishes that we eat with a spoon or with our hands as well. So. All right. Okay. Yeah. So like the, the 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 thing one of the things that kind of breaks my mind whenever I see it is our, our national dish is a dish called mohinga, uh, which is kind of like a fish noodle soup. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we call it a soup, um, but it's got a lot of texture in it. So there are noodles and there is fish cake and you know there are fritters and all those sort of things in it. But it absolutely absolutely has to be eaten with a spoon. Yeah. To the extent that there is a specific type of spoon, which is you know like the it's like a Chinese soup spoon, but it's metal. Yeah. So I think Thai. Thai people use it a lot as well. So we call that spoon a mohinga spoon because it's so important that you use this spoon. Um, and then, so when I see people in the diaspora, mainly restaurants in the diaspora, and they are just catering to their audience, and so I understand, but I see them dishing stuff up using chopsticks, d- dishing our national dish up using chopsticks, and it makes me want to cry <laughs> because in my brain, it's like if someone set up a fish and chip shop and served the fish and chips with the chopsticks, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that's not how we eat it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course, of course, it makes sense. Uh, and yeah, I do like the sound of your soups. Actually, I think that's that's how <laughs> soups uh, should be. To be honest, uh, with mm. some chunks, something crunchy. Though, yeah, it just reminds me. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. That that sounds uh, <laughs> the best kind of soup. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, obviously, rice is very important. Uh, also, mm. rice cultivation kind of start from from Southeast Asia and China, and yeah. there's been for, you know, I don't know, 6,000 years, really, uh, (laughs) down there. Um, But also tea is very important in uh, Burmese cuisine, isn't it? Yes. Yes, Yes, it is. Um, In a way that I'm not sure it isn't anywhere else because we we eat tea. Um, (laughs) Yes, that's your unique point, actually. Yes, so, you know, our, our... Possibly our most famous thing that we have is something called lapel, which is um, pickled tea leaves. Um, and so, yeah, p- pickled tea leaves are kind of historically important as well as culturally important because um, it, it you, so Burma has always been a mess. It's always been warring kingdoms mm. because of the different ethnic groups. Um, and what would happen historically is if a kingdom kind of decided to make peace with another kingdom in the same way that you know you might have a peace pipe um the kings would sit down together and eat lapet right um and 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 you have it so like we have this rite of passage for for buddhists you have this rite of passage called shenbyu and shenbyu is um when basically a a boy goes, becomes a man, it's like the bar mitzvah, but they have to kind of go into a monastery and and, and kind of be a novice monk for like a a week or two. And what they do before that is they have this big ceremony where they dress up as a prince um and they get treated like a prince and there's a big celebration and this kind of is meant to mimic what happened to Siddhartha Gautama who who was the Buddha yeah because what he you know he, he was a prince and then he decided to become the Buddha because he was upset by all of the the horror that he saw around him and so he couldn't he couldn't face being a prince anymore and so what this is is you know you you dress your child like a king and then he becomes a monk um but for this ceremony it's such a big thing it's such an important thing like family and friends are invited and to invite people to that ceremony what you do traditionally is you go around to your neighbors and you offer them some lapel mm. um to say you're invited to this ceremony um and and like if people come round to your house, they just drop by in, in the same way that you might give people tea and biscuits um, in the UK, in Burma, you give them two types of tea because you give them a green tea to drink and you give them this pickled tea to eat. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a, a huge cultural thing that we're really proud of. And uh, yeah. <laughs> how do you make it, first of all, and how does it taste like? 
Okay, so making it, it's it's it, it's um it's one of those things that you would never ever make it yourself. It's like miso. Um, you basically they get huge silos of of these tea leaves, and it's fermented and it's pressed in the sun, and I think it's left for eight weeks, um, and then it's it's either pounded or mixed with various seasonings, mm. but it's it's not something that anyone would ever attempt to make at home. Although I am trying because it's hard to get it in this country. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it's something that you go and buy <laughs> in I a see, stall, in a shop, yeah. in a supermarket. Um, and the way it tastes, so so texturally, it's like tea leaves. It's it's, it's like after you've had some tea and they they they're left uh, with fresh tea leaves. Um, oh right. But but the taste is. Um, I, I like to compare it most, and I actually use this as a common substitute, um, baby artichokes uh, okay. because it's, 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 it's astringent, it's a little bit sour, it's a little bit bitter, but, and it's a little bit savoury. Um, so it's, it's, kind of, it's got all these kind of different um, flavours coming through. Um, but the way it's really special is you don't, you don't generally tend to eat it by itself. You eat it with various accompaniments. Yeah. Um, so like crunchy things normally. So the way they have it in Mandalay, which is where my family are from, but most of my family are from Mandalay or Upper Burma anyway, mm-hmm. um, it, we, you have something that's called alu le pet. And alu um, kind of means celebration offering. And this type of le pet um, is, is served up in this really beautiful lacquer dish generally, which has kind of divisions. And each compartment has a different type of garnish in it. So you've got lapet in the middle, the pickle tea in uh-huh. the middle. And then around the edges, you have things like fried broad beans and sesame seeds um, and uh, like uh, pickled, gar- uh, not pickled, sorry, uh, fried garlic and dried shrimp and kind of all, all these kind of little nutty, nutty little bits all around it. And the way you're meant to eat it is you use a teaspoon and you kind of create a little parcel for yourself and then you eat it. Uh-huh. Um, so that that's the Mandalay way, uh, and the Yangon way um, is kind of known as uh, lapetho, which means lapet salad. And so what they do is they get pretty much the same ingredients, but then they add um, fresh tomatoes and sometimes uh, fresh white cabbage, um, and then it's mixed together with a, a bit more of a dressing, so a squeeze of lime and a squeeze a squeeze more of oil, and that's lapet salad. Mm. Um, so yeah, those are the kind of two major ways of eating lapet. Sounds delicious. <laughs> It's really nice. <laughs> but like I said, if you can't get hold of it, baby artichokes work very well. Ah, very interesting. Yeah, that's something very unique and very different from uh, from other cuisines and things that you had of the area. So really yeah. intrigued me, really kind of uh, <laughs> made me curious to see how you make it and you know how does it taste like. Uh-huh. It's, a, it's not very often that you find things that are very unique and you haven't no. had them before. Uh, so there's always some similarities. You can compare it with something else. Obviously, we all <laughs> love eating and we love having feasts and extravagant stuff. So there's always, mm. from one place to the next, you can connect dots, but there's something that you never had before. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's great stuff. That's great stuff. What are your, um, I don't know, I think I would say your favorite traditional dishes? Um, my favorite dishes. Um, it, it, it varies. I think probably the one Top three, maybe? I- <laughs> Top three, yeah. let's say. Okay. So I think my favorite dish is probably uh, one called Mogo Miche, which is um, a dish from Mogo, which is where my mum's from and where that chef from La Pet is from, mm-hmm. uh, the restaurant La Pet. And um, what that is, is it's rice noodles um, and topped with um, pork, usually pork shoulder or pork belly. Yeah. Um, and then it's got kind of a, like a tamarind dressing and garlic and coriander and crispy onions. And it's it's one of those, it's it's, um, it's like hot, spicy and sour noodles, basically. Ooh, nice. Um, and so it's really refreshing. And like, even if you've got a massive bowl, you don't feel like you've eaten too much because <laughs> of the sour, the spice. Um, and I love that just because it is so delicious, but I also love it because it's I associate it with coming home. Yeah. And when I say going home, I mean going to Burma because, um, you know, whenever we land in, in from the airport and we get whisked by car to my mm. auntie's house, and that's always the dish that's on the table, always. So it's the first thing I eat as soon as I've stepped on, like, oh. Burmese soil. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably why that's my favourite. Um, and then my second favourite is... <laughs> <laughs> Hilariously, the probably the the Mandalay version of the same dish, <laughs> uh, 
And the reason that is because, you know, Mandalay's where my dad's family are from. So it's kind of very much a family thing. So Mogok's my mom's family, Mandalay's my dad's family. Um, but the reason I, Mandalay Miche is my probably my second favourite dish is it's one I associate with parties. Because in this country, whenever friends and family came around, my mum would break yeah. it out because it was such a crowd pleaser. Um, it's, it's, you know, it's the same base of rice noodles, but... Uh, my mum would normally use spaghetti because it was one of the ones she first cooked yeah. in this country and you couldn't get rice noodles at the time. Um, so there'd be the the spaghetti base and then she'd use chicken rather than pork because chicken, in, in Berber, ironically, um, chicken is really expensive and beef is, is oh, cheap okay. because no one really eats beef. Um, and so, mm, so, so to, to, to use chicken showed you were well off. Um, so basically chick chicken would be that that um the the meat the preferred meat, and that oh, showed fantastic. that she was being generous and you know being uh, really and 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 it was also the first dish my mum used to let me help make, but the job she gave me was totally pointless, I realized in the retrospect um because what she asked me to do this is like when I was like five years old, I think four or five she'd give me a bowl of um soybeans so kind of fermented um yellow beans yeah. i think this is so not the black beans but kind of like the the slightly kind of uh, more liquid yellow beans and what what she would do is she'd give me that and she'd give me a spoon like a really kind of flat based spoon mm. and she'd ask me to squish them to make a smooth sauce now the reason obviously this is pointless is a you don't need to do that because we like yes. the texture anyway it's and just... b you can also buy, buy the yellow bean paste <laughs> ready made of course so, but I think it was to make me feel useful. <laughs> so, like, so I have this association mm. with it being that this is the sauce that I used to make, the first dish I used to help cook, but also it's to do with parties. Um, and then the, my my third favorite dish again, it's a chicken based dish, um, and it's it's always referred to as like our version of biryani. It's called dumbao. Um, but I wouldn't say it was biryani. I think it's much more like the original Iranian dish, um, not right. least because dumbao kind of is derived from the term dumpukt, which I think is an Iranian term. Um, and what this is, is it's, it's like a rice pilaf mm -hmm. um, with chicken and with kind of various herbs and, you know, spices. Um, but it's considered like the most um, celebratory of dishes nice. so it's the one that's served at weddings um and we actually served it at my wedding um so it's 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 very much a dish where it's it's kind of and it's expensive because you've got all these expensive herbs you've got saffron in it yeah. and you know what i mean um so yeah it, it's the dish that we always serve when something really really special is happening so some kind of massive celebration um so yeah those are my three dishes so mogo miche because of my mum uh, Manley Miche because of my dad and biryani because of my wedding so dumb out <laughs> <laughs> brilliant uh, so do you know or can you enlighten us, enlighten us a little bit about the connection with Iran what's the connection with Iran that just just the fact that there 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 was kind of um people immigrant immigrants from Iran I believe um ah, okay. even relatively recently so my mum's uncle my mum's auntie is married to they always refer to him as a persian mullah um so <laughs> so yeah we've got you know iranians in our own family so i think there's always been some kind of movement back and forth um so <laughs> there, there is a there's see, another yeah. dish which i particularly like which again i believe has iranian roots um and it's again a chicken dish but it's a, a curry and it's a cinnamon curry and we don't we don't mm. use cinnamon in that many other dishes but this is like a really yeah. really lovely fragrant um uh, curry and it's 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 um it's a big crowd pleaser this one i made it i made it once when i um i did a takeover i took over a friend's restaurant for the night and it was one of the dishes on the menu that night the cinnamon chicken and um <laughs> one of the guests was a farmer a cattle farmer yeah and so th this was out in dorset so <laughs> that's why and the cattle farmer passed on a message to me in the kitchen and said, if I gave him the recipe for my cinnamon chicken, he would give up beef forever. <laughs> so, I think that's a, that's a great compliment. I know. Yeah. <laughs> ah, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, so obviously uh, the importance of festivals and uh, communal eating mm. is, is quite um, it's, big. In, uh, it's, it's very big. Burma. I mean, the, we don't... Weirdly enough, we don't necessarily have food, specific foods tied to festivals. So we have mm -hmm. that one. And then our, our new year is in April. Um, it's called 
The Jan or Thin Jan is another way of saying it. And we have one uh, dessert associated with that, which is called Molong Yebo, um, which is like, it's it's basically a, a, it's a bit like mochi again. So, you know, as mentioned before about the Japanese dish. So it's yeah. like, um, a, 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 and again, it's a rice cake, but inside you have like a piece of sugar, a piece of um, palm sugar. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's a communal activity. What happens is that you all take turns rolling it. So you, you, you all kind of, you sit around in a big group and you have this big basket of dough in the middle of rice, rice dough it is. And so right. you're making these little kind of balls and then you're all taking turns to put in the lump of sugar and roll it up again. And then you throw it into a basket and then someone takes the basket and then they, they kind of poach them, I guess, in water. Um, and then yeah. it rises up and then it's cooked. And the reason it's called Molongye Bo is it means kind of round snack floating on the water. It's a very literal name. <laughs> Um, but yeah. the, the, the thing I like about this is it, it's kind of associated with the kind of the playfulness of, of our festival because it's at the same it's at the same time as like the Thai water festival Songkran and and it is a water festival so it's mainly mischief so it's people kind of chucking water at each other um, and mm. getting into all sorts of pranks and japes um, and there's a prank that's associated with this dessert this New Year dessert where basically you're meant to be putting the sugar in but like every 10th ball or so you put a bird's eye chili in um and then it's like russian roulette no one knows which one's got yeah. the chili in it and they're all being boiled up together and so like yeah. it gets served so what happens is that you get like three or four on a palm leaf and it's sprinkled with a little bit of coconut grated coconut and you take your bite and you're meant to eat it in one and so you get intense uh, intense pleasure or intense pain basically so <laughs> And, and they go, Happy New Year! <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great. It sounds great. Yeah, you make me hungry, though. That's a problem <laughs> Sorry. now. <laughs> I want to eat all these dishes. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, anyway... That's going to happen at some point in your life. It will, it will. But but the, the thing yeah. actually that I wanted to point out is that although although these festivals, they are all kind of notionally Buddhist festivals, the way yeah. the way Burma works is I guess it's a bit like everyone celebrates Christmas. So we have these festivals, but everyone pretty much joins in, which is really nice. Um, so so like New Year, although that is technically the Buddhist New Year, it's a national yeah. holiday, you know. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone's partying. Everyone's having fun. It doesn't matter what religion they are. Um, so yeah. it, it because it, it's kind of, I guess, because the country is so predominantly in the same way the UK is predominantly a Christian country. Burma is yeah. predominantly Buddhist, and so the national holidays are 
generally Buddhist ones. Although, unlike the UK, we, for example, we recognise Eid. That's also a national holiday. Um, mm. But but yeah, because of that, it's associated with people having time off and people having fun. So it means that everyone joins in, which is, it means it's more of a cultural thing rather than a religious thing. So I, I yeah, kind of forget yeah. that it's a Buddhist thing at all. And I'm a terrible Buddhist. I, uh, <laughs> In the same way that I think many ostensibly Christian people know nothing about Christianity, I know nothing about Buddhism. Um, so yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just remember, I suppose- it's New Year, so... <laughs> Yes, New Year's, yeah, celebrate. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's 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 not. Um, I suppose is that why you don't have so much beef, or because the, why the beef is so cheap? Because it's mainly a Buddhist um, country. Sort of. So the I think that's more of a Burmese thing. So basically, in in mm. in Burma, like even until recently, farming was generally done um, in very old fashioned. Uh, manual ways um and yeah. so instead of tractors you would have um like buffaloes and cows <laughs> doing yeah, all the work yeah. and so what happened was that these animals kind of became part of the family um and as a result we didn't we didn't really do dairy farming either so milk wasn't really available or generally mm. dairy generally wasn't consumed in burma um yeah. apart from kind of like condensed milk and evaporated milk <laughs> So, yeah, okay. uh, so that, that kind of thing. Yeah. It, it's funny actually. There is um, so we really like milky tea. We've always really loved milky tea. So the two types mm-hmm. of tea we have is green tea, which we call yenuijiang, and milky tea, which is called lapeye. And there's kind of there's there's sort of nuances with lapeye. So you can say things like um. Um, there's various terms which I can't remember for, for the life of me right now, but there are ways of saying a little bit less sugar, a little bit more sugar, or a little bit milk in there. Mm. But but until relatively recently, the milkiness was achieved by you know like milk powder, so yeah. kind of process. And oh, wow. and we liked it so much that we you know we're very famous for this stuff called three in one, which is basically um, tea and milk and sugar in a packet all mixed up so you so you can't change the strengths of anything at all and the same with coffee coffee was also had in the same three-in-one style so you'd have a, like a packet of milk tea and a packet of, of coffee and and you know if you like black tea if you like cappuccino if you like espresso you're screwed because none, yes. none of that exists <laughs> i love the, all these small unique things that <laughs> countries have it's brilliant <laughs> so i guess uh, as you're saying you didn't have um as a country, traditionally, there's not consume. They didn't consume milk or, or no, uh, dairy products. No, not really. Much. No, yeah. I mean uh, yeah. oil. A lot of oil. Oil is like sacred almost in Burma. Um, yeah. In the same way that you know how like you might insult someone by saying that their cake was a bit dry. Um, yeah. In Burma, if you say something lacks oil, that's also a big insult. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. I, I love oil. Uh, as a Mediterranean, of course. Of course, I use oil oil yeah. All the time, on everything. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, I think I consume too much oil. But yeah, <laughs> I understand that the insult uh, bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it speaks to my heart. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Um, so, yeah, beef, it wasn't obviously consumed, uh, but chicken was more the most expensive thing, yep. the most um, celebrated and big. Oh well, I mean that's our staple. Yeah, yeah, pork pork is our staple. Um, To the Mm. extent that um, I mentioned this in my book, but like, um, if in Mogo, which is where my mum's from, they they basically it's it's like the most favourite meat ever. To the extent that you know, my uncle would go out and (laughs) instead of saying that he was going to go and earn some money, he'd he'd said he'd go out and get the pork funds. Um, Ah. So. So, like, who's bringing home the bacon? Yes, exactly like that. Like yes. that. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, <laughs> and uh, in terms of um, sauces, uh, sauce, sauce-based stuff, um, do you have anything um, particularly unique? Um, um, we have from Burma. Yeah, so we have this thing called Bonyeji, um, which is um, primarily from this place called uh, Nyangshui Bagan. So it's, it's a, 
Pagan is basically the historic, one of the historical capitals of Burma. Um, it's the one that is like our equivalent of Angkor Wat. It's just full of ancient temples. Uh-huh. Um, so just outside that is the area of Nyang Shui, and basically they produce this sauce, which is like a very rich fermented sauce. Um, I guess it's a bit like miso, um, and it's made from uh, it's called the um, horse gram, horse gram bean, and it's. Right. It's very hard to describe. It's it's very pungent, but in a really kind of Moorish way. It's not it's not unpleasant, but it's very strongly mm. smelling, um, and it's very savory and it's very salty and it's a little bit sour, um, and it's very it's unique. I don't think I've tried anything that tastes exactly like it. Um, and the way we eat that is we either eat it um, in a salad with onions, so it's basically kind of onions and uh, maybe a little of some other vegetables dressed with um, this sauce, this bongyeji sauce, or we make a, a pork curry with it, um, which is bongyeji um, weather. And again, it's it's something that it's it's actually so regional that probably maybe twenty years ago you couldn't get it anywhere apart from in the area. Right. Um, but now you can get like instant mixes, just add water type thing, which is oh. kind of like dehydrated bongyeji, Um, because it I don't think it keeps particularly well as a mm-hmm. as a kind of made up sauce. Um, but you can get packets, which I even have some in my in my fridge, I think. Um, where you know you can just make this sauce. So that is I, I actually That's... have a recipe. I, I, I learned how to make that myself, which because I'm an idiot. And I think <laughs> I even said in the recipe, this is gonna take forever. So you know, make it because it is so iconic and unique, but it's very tiring. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a big disclaimer at the start of the recipe. Yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, I, I think I refer to it as black gold because it is, yeah, it's such a beautiful dark colour and, yeah, yeah, it's really oh, nice. Wow. Can you find it so, uh, in UK in, in um, Oriental markets, supermarkets? Not normal ones. Um, mm-hmm. You can. There's a few Burmese suppliers, but it's, oh, okay. it, like I said, it's it's very scarce otherwise. It's very. It's but, very but you can make it. It will take you a yeah, week, yeah. and you'll go you'll go mad. But <laughs> I'm already mad. That's fine. <laughs> That's fine. Great. I love it. Um, so obviously, in, in um, Chinese um, culture, a lot of the food has um, medical. Proper properties and uh-huh. obviously in ancient Europe and old ancient Greece and old medieval Europe, the food was associated with hot and cold and all these properties. Is there yeah. anything similar in uh, Burmese Burmese cuisine or Burmese Burmese food? We, that... we we do have that, but that wasn't passed on so much by my family, just because I have so many doctors in my family that they all poo pooed it a little bit. So it was not something that we ever believed in particularly. Yeah. There's the odd kind of superstition that was passed on. Like, for example, there's a strong belief that bitter foods are good for you. It, right. No, no, no rhyme or reason behind it. But it meant that um, a very popular vegetable is bitter melon. Um, it's called corella, I think, in, in this country. Uh-huh. Um, it's it's a, a very spiky looking gourd, which is just incredibly bitter. And it's my mum's favourite vegetable. And really? it's the favorite, Yeah, and it's like an iconic vegetable in Burma. And I can't stand it. I mean, I, I say, I think probably as I've got older, I've been able to tolerate it a bit more and almost like it. Mm. But it's one of those things where you're told you have to eat it because not only is it delicious, it's incredibly good for you. Um, and then there are, there's another similar leaf called um, um, ma in Burmese, but in um, Indian English it's called neem. And similarly, mm-hmm. it's a very, very bitter leaf. Um, and weirdly, I quite like that one. I don't know why. But again, it's one of those things where we're told it's good for your health, it's good for your health, um, without any kind of explanation as to why yeah. it's good for your health, apart from it's punishing you. So. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's why. <laughs> Anything that punishes you is good for you. I suppose, um, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe it has to do with poverty and peasants and people that you know when you don't have um, plenty of stuff and that's what's left to it. Well, you have to. It's funny. It's funny because I was always told my, my my grandmother on my dad's side was really into herbal medicines. Mm. She used to spend all her time just making like homemade pill, herbal pills, basically. Right. And she had like a she had a rack of bottles on her on her um, kitchen cabinet, which just looked terrifying to me. I remember kind of like playing in the kitchen and just staring at them, thinking this all looks really really weird. I don't tr-. and none of it was labeled, obviously. <laughs> so, um, but one of the things she did this is probably oh god, 
it must be about 30 years ago. She tried to make my mum, my mum has asthma, and she tried to make my mum take turmeric and honey yeah. pills. Um, and so my mum was like, what the hell is this? Because my mum, you know, my mum's a doctor, my dad's a doctor. Yeah. Um, and at the time they were like, what, what is this nonsense? And my, my grandmother was like, no, 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 you should do it, you do it. And of course it turns out that that combination is actually good for asthma, ah. like medically found to be good. So my, my grandmother wasn't talking rubbish. And it means my mum, now in her old age, she makes these pills herself now. Um, and then if you go into like Holland and Barrett or anything, you can get turmeric pills yes. now. And my mum saw how expensive they were. And she was like, never mind, I'll make my yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just like your uh, grandmother. <laughs> I thought you could. But again, I think... But again, it's the thing about the bitterness because obviously turmeric is quite a bitter, yeah. <laughs> a bitter yeah. spice. Yeah, well, on its own, it's very bitter and pungent. Yeah, of course. It, it it's kind of funny because obviously there is a lot of tradition about what goes with what mm. food and what one of the the funniest things that has come out in terms of tourism is there's, there's been this poster that's been circulating which originated from chinatown in yangon which was the capital city and basically it's like a trilingual poster it's got chinese and uh english and burmese written on it and it it has the foods that will cause you different ailments depending on the combination you eat them in but it's utter nonsense so it's got this <laughs> there's one whole column that says that no no seriously it's got one whole column that says if you eat these two foods together you will die and then there's another <laughs> one which says if you eat these two foods together you will get diarrhea and then there's another one which says that you will you know if you eat these two together you will become faint so it's, it's just complete Hokum, yeah. it's nonsense. But my favourite, in the in the You Will Die section, it's got some very bizarre combinations. And when I say bizarre, I mean normal combinations that I have eaten and I know it won't kill me. <laughs> so it's it's got things like, I can't, I can't remember the top of my head, but it's something like, if you eat melon and honey together, you will die. And, and so I'm like, where the hell has this come from? It makes no, no sense. sense. Especially yeah, a fruit and honey, which is nice and healthy. I suppose maybe they mean that you're going to die of old age in a... Maybe, 60, 50, maybe. 70 years. <laughs> but but it's funny because of that we we don't we have our superstitions but i don't think we have ones that we take mm. that seriously to yeah. be honest um and like the other thing that i find quite interesting and distinct from a lot of countries in um the, the part where we are southeast asia is that we don't have any real um kind of taboos to do with pregnancy either mm. so you know how like in china and a lot of the kind of like other countries in the area they have this thing where after you've given birth you're you have to eat specific foods to get your strength yeah, back yeah. up um and, and and you have to like stay at home for a month and all that kind of stuff we don't have anything like that um i think there might be a little bit of that like out in the the country like in the really rural places yeah. but it's not like a normal thing right. to do whereas so so when i've seen other you know friends of mine from other other countries do that kind of thing and they go oh do you do that and i've gone no <laughs> <laughs> should should we be doing that i don't know <laughs> um like the, the only thing in fact this goes back to the lapet the only thing that we really have and obviously this is based on science is if you're pregnant you you're not allowed to eat lapet mm -hmm. because it's got um such high le levels of both caffeine and there's something called, I can't remember the name, it's like theobramine or something. There's some other thing mm. in it, which means that it, your your levels of, of whatever hormones will just go off the scale. And so it's really bad for developing oh, fetuses. Right. Okay, okay. So ah. um, in, in the same way that you're not meant to drink coffee when you're pregnant, you know? So, so yeah, you're not, you're not right, meant to eat okay. um, lapet while you're pregnant. I mean, it, the, the, the levels of this, the stimulant that they have is high enough that in the same way, that you know you might use um like caffeine mm. tablets pro plus to mm. stay awake people eat lapet to stay awake <laughs> um so like if you've got like students cramming yeah. for exams they will eat lapet through the night to stay awake so they can wow. keep studying um <laughs> fantastic natural <laughs> Let's say that. mm. natural way of staying awake um uh, in, in terms of condiments and um, things that you Garnish the foods and stuff. Obviously, you said fried the garlic, fried onions. Fried garlics, fried onions, crispy things. Um, we also like chili. Um, but the way we eat chili, um, it depends on the dish mm. you're eating. So it might be it might be dry roasted, it might be um, crispy chili, it might be chili oil, it might be fresh chili, or it might be pickled okay. chili. Um, and it's very specific. Like 
that you know if you see a dish and someone's put something else so pickled sorry fresh chili isn't something we generally use apart from Mm. in salads and so when i see people like serving up noodle dishes and they've sliced up fresh chili rings onto it it makes it makes my brain go a bit funny i mean it's fine it's personal preference but in my brain it just i just feel like but it goes so much better with chili oil or whatever you know Uh. so um but what we do is we kind of do that thing um where we don't put it on the dish until you're at the table we we have it like at a like a carousel yeah. at the table so people can basically add what they like yeah. when they like um so so yeah we're not we're not kind of it, it's funny we're, we're very much in favor of people dressing their mm. own dishes so even in terms of like well someone will if, if you're in a restaurant or a, or a stall they'll you know give you a bowl of soup or a yeah. bowl of noodles um and then you'll try it and they'll either let you adjust the flavors yourself or they'll say to you uh, which means does it need sweetness does it need saltiness does it need chili and so you you hand it back to them and you go yeah it needs a little bit more chili or something and then they'll adjust yeah. it for you um, because you know it, you do have that thing where in the end people have their own of personal course. tastes right you don't have this thing where a chef will serve something up and get upset if you add yeah. salt to it yeah yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> um, given the proximity as opposed to Thailand um, do you use fish sauce do you have fish sauce yeah. Yes. Yeah. So we favor fish sauce over mm. soy sauce um, very much. So it, it, that is our, pr- we probably use fish sauce more than mm. we use salt. Um, and we also use pr- probably more important than, in, in, a, in a lot of the country, probably more important um, than fish sauce is something called ngabit, um, which is basically our equivalent of shrimp mm. paste. Um, and ngabit literally means um, pressed fish. So it's usually made more from like tiny yeah. fry, tiny fish yeah. rather than shrimps, although shrimps are often involved. Um, and, and what this is, is because of the Irrawaddy, because we've got this huge bloody yeah. great river all the way through the country, this fish paste, this fresh fish paste is really important. And so everybody uses it uh, apart from... Um, I think pretty much apart from uh, the people in the Shan state, because the Shan state, and you know, remember I said I'm, I'm mm. a quarter Shan, they are in like the mountains, and so they're yeah. nowhere near the river, um, <laughs> and so they they use they they tend to prefer to use um, fermented soybeans, um, and they they use it like in a similar paste, um, and they call it banger beet. And banger beet just means bean. Right. So, well, I say they call it. The rest of the world calls it, the rest of Burma calls it banger beet because for for the rest of the country, um, it's like the bean <laughs> version of beet. So it's still being described in reference to yeah. the, the, the fish paste. Um, so, yeah, this, and then that fish paste is often, especially for like poorer people, it's often the only thing they have right. to eat with their okay. rice. Um, gotcha. Uh, you know so it's yeah, very yeah. very important and yeah that flavoring and the, the saltiness and you know the whole umami i suppose yeah yeah umami definitely yeah. because it's yeah. fermented <laughs> thanks for spending all this time uh, <laughs> explaining these things to me oh it's it it's very nice to meet us and it's very nice to be talking about something nice um because as you said things that are currently mm-hmm. happening over burma it's kind of <laughs> I just want to yeah. talk about noodles. I just want to talk about rice <laughs> and salads and fritters and things ah, that make me happy. Yeah, talk us about fritters then, because uh, they are very important, aren't they? Oh, okay. <laughs> so important. There's a whole <laughs> chapter in my book. <laughs> um, and salads as well, to be fair. Um, so the, the, the thing about Burmese cuisine, I guess, is that what you have at, at home tends to be rice. And everything else tends to be either an accompaniment or a street food snack or a snack generally. And so fritters, if you're going out for street food, there's just like fritter sellers everywhere. You'll just have people with their walks just in, they're either like separate little markets, night markets or day markets, or they're just kind of on the road by themselves. Um, and they have a walk and they have whatever you fancy just frying away. And and sometimes they're, they're kind of like specific walks. So you have this type of um, fritter called molemia, which means couple couple crispy or couple snack. And what that is, is it's like these kind of very small little round pancakes that have been stuffed with spring onions and yellow peas and um, like sometimes a little bit of tomato and sometimes a whole quail egg. And what you do is they get the two, so the the kind of, it's like a a frying pan like drum with like these little concave indentations. So each little pancake is being cooked separately. Um, So a bit like takoyaki and a bit like kanom crock, I think it's called. And so, so lots of other countries 
mm. in that area have very similar pans. Um, and then, but but I think so. What we do is that we then kind of scoop out these little pancakes, um, and then we join them together. Yeah. While they're still hot, so they seal, and then they form like this perfect crispy shell, and that's why they're called um, couple cakes or husband and wife cakes because you're bringing two halves together, um, and those those are really nice. Um, but like anywhere you go, you'll you'll see kind of like the like our tofu, you know, our tofu which isn't mm. soybean based, it's chickpea or split pea based. So you'll see tofu fritters, or you'll see <laughs> prawn fritters, or bean fritters, or sweet corn fritters, and you ah, know, brilliant. it's just so common to just grab some in the same way that I guess here you used to like be able to grab a hot dog or mm. you know <laughs> some chestnuts off the street then in Burma you're just gra- grabbing fried things off the street yeah. and it's always yeah. made to order so sometimes you have to wait a little bit but it, that's how you mm. ensure that it's absolutely fresh and absolutely crispy and hot um and yeah it's it sounds like a great uh, street food for here as well if if and when them you know, food markets open. You can, yeah, 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 you know. for sure. I mean, I, the only thing is I worry about health and safety because, like I said, these are massive walks of frying um, oil. So. Mm, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, guess, I guess here you'd use deep fat fryers. I think that'd probably be yeah, a bit yeah, safer. Probably. All plugged probably in with like safety cutoff, all that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, so yeah, so we love fritters. And then, like I said, the other thing we love is salads. And mm. and salads are kind of treated in the same way. So it's funny because salads salads aren't um, aren't like a, a dainty thing in Burma. When, when mm-hmm. we say salad, we're actually talking about some a combination of ingredients that have been tossed together with a dressing that often doesn't require any kind of leaf at all um, yeah. or, or even sometimes no vegetable at all. <laughs> so, so. Or, or, or like the vegetable might just be some onion, you know. Yeah, so like yeah. we have kind of very meaty salads and we have very fishy salads and like we have the lapetho, so the, the tea leaf salad that I mentioned. And then yeah. we, we have um, a salad which is primarily based around lemons, which um, where the main <sighs> ingredients are basically lemons, fish sauce, chili and ngabit, the shrimp paste I mentioned. Yeah. Um, and, you know, these are, you know, these aren't things that you lose weight on. These aren't things that, and, 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 and because of that, they're considered snacks. Um, and so yeah. you will have salad vendors again on the street making your salad to order. Oh, wow. And and like I said before, they will adjust to your taste. So you'll mm. say, oh, can I have, um, uh, can I have like that fish salad, but can you put a little less chili in it or a little yeah. bit more vinegar, that kind of thing. Um and so people will just walk around like snacking on salads and they'll walk around snacking on fritters and yeah know, this this is this is how you know we, we you know we, we snack and it, we're happy and and it's because of that because it's not dainty it's also not not like associated with either women or men you know mm, everyone yeah. will eat it children that, will eat it so that lemon salad sounds very intriguing mm, how, how is it made so so basically you um kind of you peel a lemon and you get rid of all the white pith and then you slice it very very thinly um so you've basically only just got like the the, the lemon pulp left the kind of like the um the, the lovely kind of i don't know what they called you know what i mean like the kind of yeah. like and and then you've got the pulp and you put it in the plate and then you kind of marinate it slightly um, with fish sauce, um, with various other kind of ingredients, um, all kind of like spicy bits of garlic, bits of oil. Um, and then you kind of leave it to soak in those flavours and textures. Mm. Um, and then you kind of slice some shallots very, very thinly and then you throw it into the mix and then you mix it all up. Um, sounds, and- sounds great. And then it's ready. And so you eat that with rice or you eat that with a soup on the side. And yeah, it's it's kind of because it's lemons, obviously, when you eat it, it's kind of quite powerful at first. Mm. But then it mellows out to a really, really lovely, kind of long, um, savory, mellow aftertaste. Um yeah. so yeah, it's very addictive. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> but but you know, like I was saying, because obviously rice is the kind of the daily meal that we eat at home, and everything mm. else tends to be stuff that we go out and eat for fun. Um, yeah. Even noodles are kind of categorized in that same way. So like we'll often go out and eat noodles, and then we'll go home and eat our actual dinner. So <laughs> basically, yes, it's <laughs> we eat and then we go to eat. Yeah, because you know everything else. We we have this generic category called monk, and monk kind of means snack, and it kind of means like um, cake, and it kind of means all sorts of things. But it, it's basically this mop up category for stuff that we don't consider real food, which right. means that it's which means it's like bonus food. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love 
I love uh, Burmese food. Yeah. <laughs> well, like, food culture. <laughs> the same with desserts, because we don't have desserts at the end of the meal. We actually, going back to La Pet, La Pet is how we end a meal. Um, mm. Sweet stuff we eat as a snack. <laughs> so we'll go to a festival and we'll eat a snack, or we'll go shopping and we'll stop in a cafe and we'll eat some sweets and desserts. And okay. so, so, yeah, it's, it's just fun things to eat when we're not at home. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. As you said, uh, you have that... Uh, uh, New Year Festival of Sweet. With, yeah. Uh, uh, any other, like, unique um, desserts or sweets that you would call? So, I mean, we're not... I have to say, I, I've always been under the impression that we've stole most of our desserts from either India or Malaysia <laughs> because uh-huh. we they're, they're so similar to, like archetypal desserts from those countries so like we, we don't have a tradition of ovens we have no oven culture um yeah and so we we only have one real cake um and it's called sanumakin and it's 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 a stove cake really so you cook it mm. in a pan on a stove and then if yeah. you've got a grill you might kind of finish it off on the grill but you yeah. don't bake it and it's basically based on um something called suji kahalwa uh, which is like a semolina pudding from India. Um, mm. And, and it's, it's pretty much the same thing. Um, and then like yeah. another of our absolute favorite um, desserts is called faluda, uh, which is a, you know, an Indian word. It's, it's faluda. Um, right. And it's, and it's like a, a rose pink dessert with ice cream and kind of vermicelli noodles and jelly and like basil seeds. And it's, all, it, it's like a, it's like a, a, a very ramped up milkshake. Um, and it's mm. amazing. But it's an Indian dessert, you know, and and even the um the New Year dessert, it's so similar to a lot of the Malaysian desserts. There's one called Onde Onde, which is, to my mind, looks exactly the same. It's like this uh, sticky rice ball with a sweet inside, coated in coconut. Although I don't think they do the thing with the chilies. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I, pretty much all of our desserts, I I really do feel are based on other people's. Um, mm. I think the only one I can think of that I would think is properly unique are the ones that are almost more savory than sweet. Yeah. Um, so there are a couple, um, like the, the you know the, the thing that I, I, the tamanere, the, the the pounded cake that we do, the one that yeah. we have competitions for. That is technically a dessert, but it's not. It's savory. But I find that to be a very Burmese thing. Um, and I yes. think it only vaguely qualifies as a dessert because it has coconut on it. Um, <laughs> and then there are various other pancakes which are kind of similar. And again, they have like peanuts and and sesame seeds and stuff. And I think just by mere dint of having the, those um, ingredients in it, it counts as a dessert. Yeah. Um, but the one, I think there's one dessert which I think is very Burmese and I don't think I've seen it anywhere else. Um, and I'm probably wrong and it probably comes from somewhere else. Um, is a dessert called mong le gao. Um, and mong le gao literally means a bracelet snack. Um, and what that is, is we get, it's it's sticky rice dough. So it's um, it's kind of similar to the other, we use a lot of sticky rice flour, basically. Um, so you get sticky rice flour and rice flour and you kind of mold it into a very pliable dough. And then you kind of roll it into a sausage and then you turn the sausage into a donut. So you join it uh, at the end. Yeah, so yeah. It, it looks like a bracelet, basically. And yeah. so that, and those are fried. So those are fried rice flour donuts, basically. Um, and they're really tasty. They're very, like, very chewy rice donuts. Um, and then when you serve it up, how you serve it up, so you serve it up with a jaggery sauce. Mm. So you, you could use, like, treacle or something, basically. Um, so, you, so you serve up this kind of huge heap of rice flour donuts drizzled all over with this lovely kind of treacly sugary sauce um, sounds and good yeah, yeah I sounds... think that's unique that's the only one where I haven't seen something similar elsewhere so <laughs> thank you that's uh, brilliant <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a very good um, dessert actually I mean I suppose we can talk for hours if you want uh, <laughs> we, we, can, we, we can we can kind of uh, wrap up slowly here uh, yeah do you have other things to do <laughs> I suppose yeah. on a Saturday, yes. I've, I've got small children. <laughs> yeah, 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 okay. <laughs> yeah, great. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, for talking to me and uh, being a guest on the Delicious Legacy. And Thank it's great you. to it's great to learn something about Burmese cuisine and um, your traditions and your the way you eat. Because it's it's kind of different. I mean, things that you said to me, like like that you can actually season the stuff yourself or you can mm-hmm. adjust the season by asking it's I think the culture is different from European culture that you have the chef head chef like 
that's how I serve it to you and yep. you have to like it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's uh, more polite your way. <laughs> I I think I think the thing is that everyone's such a glutton. Everyone loves food so much that you kind of respect other people's opinions on mm. it as well. So <laughs> mm. more informal in a way maybe. Yeah. But uh, but even so probably more fun. <laughs> Mm, very yeah. much so but I mean yeah. like even in like fine dining restaurants over there you still have that same carousel of condiments on the table mm. um, so people are still encouraged to adjust to their own preferences so. brilliant excellent okay on that uh, on that note um, let's say goodbye uh, thank you thank and you and everyone should buy my book <laughs> exactly exactly everyone should buy Mandalay <laughs> mm. <laughs> So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> cheers. Have a okay, good day and you. lovely weekend. Okay, bye. you too. All right, bye-bye. Bye. I've been Thomas Dinas, and this is the Delicious Legacy Podcast. Have a lovely weekend. Bye. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.